Hey everyone, Ian here with a quick content warning before we start into the episode. In this episode, we briefly discuss suicide and self-harm in the context of Dante's Inferno when talking about harpy lore. Uh, this section is at about the 8-minute mark and lasts about 20 seconds, and it follows immediately after a section where we talk about King Phineas, if you want to skip ahead. Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Well, let us fly, Madam Harpy Queen. Show me how you dance upon the winds. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today, uh, we're going to talk about harpies. All right. I have a confession to make. I hate harpies. I kind of like them. I hate them in just about every possible form of media that they are represented in and it's appropriate they're not supposed to be likable they are not but i do find them an interesting foe interesting yes but like even in especially in something like world of warcraft yeah because harpies do show up from time to time in world of warcraft yeah. and it's something about them just gets my hackles up i don't understand is it a what whole it uncanny is. valley thing for you it might be where they're just human enough to be creepy I could see that being an issue. Yeah, that might be what it is. But, I mean, I also have a similar issue with the Silithid. Okay, yeah. Which is not anything having to do with Uncanny Valley. That's Everybody just... hates the Silithid because I, I like the Silithid. I like the exoskeleton. I like the bugs. I love the chittering sound they make. Again, those who've listened for a while know I have Tourette's. My tics do come through from time to time on the podcast, particularly interviews. I do have one where I have a very chitinous click. Yeah. That's a sound that yeah. it drives people insane because very few people can mimic or reproduce. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I don't know as if you can actually do it intentionally. I can do it intentionally. I would see. Let me see if I can get the mic to pick it up. Give me a second here. But I don't know if that picked up or not. So, uh, Well, the waveform says it did. So. Okay, great. We'll have my <laughs> critter click on the thing. People say also sometimes reference the clicks from the Predator films as well as the, the alien species has. Yeah. But anyway... Back to the topic at hand. Yes. Harpies. Harpies are one of those iconic creatures that you say harpy and you know what you're talking about. Yeah, most people do. And I was getting really excited. I was expecting just this trove of information. I love going into lore, especially, you know, dipping into Greek lore, Babylonian lore, Mesopotamian. I love this old stuff that's largely forgotten and uh, came up strangely dry on the harpy, which was a little disappointing, honestly. Yeah, harpies have their origins in Greek, Greek myth. Yeah, and they have changed significantly, and we can talk about that as well, because the changes they have undergone are quite profound, actually. They are. It has evolved as the needs of the harpy have evolved. Yeah, I can see that, too. Um, as they needed to change, they have changed. I get that. And also with this, I mean, what the Greek myth was, and we'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag now. The harpy in Greek myth was initially just a wind spirit. So very much something you'd find in the realms of air. And again, for a ancient seafaring civilization, wind spirits are going to be a very pronounced and strong thing. They are covered, obviously, by Homer in the Iliad and the Odyssey. So when you get 
Virgil and the Aeneid, he was very much trying to copy Homer's Odyssey for the Romans, and with that, he changed the harpy a little bit to fit his narrative. The next big transformation we see is Dante and Dante's Inferno, because Dante was such a huge fan of Virgil. I've heard many people not incorrectly say that Dante's Inferno is just basically Dante's fanfic. It's uh, Dante's Catholic fanfic of Virgil's Aeneid. Yeah. Yes. And so he has the harpy in a few stanzas, and he has changed their description slightly from that. Beyond that, in the 1800s, you have the poet artist William Blake, who I am a huge fan of. He makes this drawing of the harpy, and that's pretty much what we have for our standard harpy modern today. So depictions of the harpy have understandably changed over the course of history. At one point, they were primarily humanoid with bird legs and wings sprouting off of their back. Right. Well, I mean, even the earliest ones, when they were just wind spears, they weren't even humanoid. They were just the personification of wind. So if a wind was to make someone disappear or blow off course or something like that, anything... They were, t- they were carried away by the harpies. Yeah. Yes. So if you lost anything, you know, it wasn't the goblins or the gremlins or whatever, or the brownies that stole your items. The harpies took your item. They were thieves. They were called the Hounds of Zeus. Yes. And in the earlier iterations of harpies, there were male and female harpies. Right. Somewhere around, I think it was around the 5th century BCE is when depictions of male harpies sort of just fell out of vogue and never came back. Now, with this, I did find an interesting correlation. So as I've discussed once or twice, I'm actually back in school now and doing an art history class. We recently just covered Minoan and Greek art. In one of the depictions of the harpies, I forget which the actual description was, it says their countenance was not presentable to public or in Greek homes. Greek art, the nude male form was perfection, and it was very, very common. You see that on a lot of the statues. But in Greek art, until the very end of the Greek period, the Hellenistic period, the nude female form was taboo. And so that is one of the things is the harpy had taken the female form, but still nude. Yes. And so at this point, that's why it was not presentable for the public or a Grecian home, because they were a nude female. And as the stories progressed throughout Greek culture, before they were assimilated by the Romans, (laughs) the description of the harpy did end up evolving. One article that I read posited that depiction of the harpy as basically a bird with a woman's head was borrowed from Egyptian culture because of the character Ba in the hieroglyphic alphabet, which is a bird with a person's head. Yeah, and this is what I was expecting when we're getting the harpy. I thought we were going to touch on Isis because, again, you have that winged goddess yeah, Ishtar and the Epic of Gilgamesh. And again, another winged god. I thought we were going to get a lot more winged goddesses. And again, that would have been a lot of fun to do. So now I think we're just going to have to do an episode on winged goddesses <laughs> at some point. Because you have the Nike of Samothrace. Who's, that's my absolute favorite art piece. But no, it's very specifically this set line of wind spirits. Later on in Greek mythology too, where they become more sinister, is they were actually a punishment for a king. I forget the king's name. But was given the gift of prophecy. Uh, king Phineas. Phineas, yes. I remember that because I read it and I thought immediately of Phineas and Ferb. Yep, there you go. And he done ruined some of Zeus's plans by spilling the beans. And so his punishment was to be exiled to this island with this grand banquet. But whenever he would try to grab any food to eat it, a harpy would swoop, steal it from him. And then it said they would soil or foul any remaining foods, though they 
don't get too descriptive, but I'm thinking if a bird's coming through. Think of seagulls. And, exactly. Just think of seagulls. Yeah, they're not Pokemon. Everything that seagulls do. <laughs> These harpies are going to do. And so this is where they become this more sinister aspect. And then again, as they carry through with Dante and the Divine Inferno, they are found in the seventh level of hell where the suicides are. At some sense, seventh, I think it's actually yes, the, the seventh. seventh. It is the seventh. seventh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so where the suicides are and they are sitting there and they're cawing and they're cackling is a torment to those that have committed self-murder or suicide. But again, the harpies did have this role and this is where they started picking up their more sinister mocking attributes as we know them more today again they are going to not be a stand up and fight kind of foe they are going to be skirmishes they're going to be tormentors they are never going to fight a balanced fight they are going to flee as soon as they lose any kind of competitive edge absolutely and they're intelligent enough to not engage if they don't have an obvious advantage yeah i mean very much in this think alfred hitchcock the birds they are going to attack in mass, they have some very nasty abilities that we will touch upon later. But again, as soon as they've used this, if it does not immediately work to their advantage, they are going to flee and wait for another time to try to come back. They are definitely opportunists. Yes. One of the other classical descriptions of the Harpies, they were servants of the Erinus, the Fury. Specifically, they were tasked with carrying off evildoers, specifically those who were responsible for murdering their own family members. Yeah. Carrying them off to the Furies for judgment. Yeah. And again, this has to do with that missing person, person abduction aspect of the Furies, kind of like what various U.S. cryptids get blamed for now. Again, we will avoid names for various reasons, but you have various U.S. native cryptids that make people go poof. The Harpies very much filled the same role. And with regards to the Furies, I just wanted to put in as a slight aside, because I fell down a little bit of a rabbit hole oh, doing, sure. during the research for this, and I was reading up on the Arrhenius okay, and where they came from. Because they are divine beings, they predate the gods, they, they are contemporaries with the Titans. Yes. And the Furies specifically came from the seven drops of blood which were shed when Kronos castrated his father Uranus and threw his genitals into the sea. Yes. And then his genitals ended up becoming the nymphs. Some of them, yes. And then the rest of it became Aphrodite. Eventually. Yeah. So it gets a little weird. Yes. A little weird. A little weird. So yeah, that... That's a thing. That's a thing. (laughs) That is a thing. Um, So that is why the Furies are creatures of hate and vengeance. Understandably. Uh, (laughs) Given where they came from. Yeah. But now, going into Greek mythology, the harpies were very similar to another creature that we are familiar with. Yes. The sirens. Right. Physical descriptions are very similar. They're both hybrid bird and female human forms. And this is a thing a lot of people miss nowadays. They hear the siren and they think more mermaid. But again, going back to Homer's Odyssey, the original description, they were winged creatures. Yes. And both sirens and harpies had an enchanting song. The main difference between the two, as far as I can tell from descriptions in different stories is that the sirens were intended to be very comely, very attractive, very alluring, whereas the harpies were always intended to be very 
disgusting, very repulsive. Repulsive. That is a bit later with lore. They did become repulsive, yes, but going back and looking at Greek culture, they were a seafaring people. The ocean currents would draw you away. They would tempt you and draw you into the reefs, into the shores, into the black unknown. The sirens themselves were a sea spirit. They were the ocean currents. Yes. The harpies are going to be the strong wind gusts, the strong blasts of wind that would carry you off, would grip the sails, would rip the mast off your ships, would destroy your vessel around you. So again, they are going to be a harsher, more destructive force. So again seafaring culture you've got these old mast ships you've got the triremes and the galleys so sea spirits and air spirits are going to be both very very strong yes one thing i would love to see and this would take someone better at this than i but seeing the harpy again as this winged air spirit i would love to see a correlation between the harpies and the quaddle, the winged serpents the wind serpents from mesoamerica especially when you have things that are destructive like tornadoes that yeah. would absolutely fit the embodiment of a harpy. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's destructive. It's strong. It carries people away. It steals stuff. It rips things right off the land. Your crops just get swooped up. That's absolutely a harpy. Yeah. I would see almost more of a water spout than a tornado, maybe. A water spout? I could see that would almost lean more towards siren, I think. Because, again, the harpy itself is just But the, but the siren is supposed to be alluring Luring, and comely. Yeah. It's not a form of destruction in and of itself. This is true. It lures you into destroying yourself. Right. Even a hurricane would actually be a good embodiment of the harpy as well. Again, it is that strong wind that just kind of... And we keep referring to the harpy as a singular, which is a little bit of a misnomer because harpies were always communal. Right. They do come in um, groups. Again, the hounds of Zeus. They were a pack creature. Yeah. Quite often they were described as basically being in covens, being yeah. in groups of three. Yeah. Though most of the instances that I was able to find would only name two at a time. There's only a handful of actual named harpies. Yeah. So again, the lore tends to be a little bare, but if you're a creative DM or a creative player, this just means the field's wide open for you. So touching back on the sirens a little bit, there are some people who are firmly in the sirens are bird people camp, and there are people solidly in the sirens are mermaids camp. Right. And both people are correct. Yes. Mainly because the definition of a siren evolved over time primarily due to really bad translations in the 8th, 9th, and 10th century. That'll happen. The earliest account of a siren being a mermaid-type creature comes from the Anglo-Latin... It's basically a bestiary out of England. Okay. It was an English monk who had made this bestiary of a whole bunch of different mythical creatures that were rumored to be living in and around England, in the waters of England. So the siren became a mermaid there, and it was picked up by people like Chaucer later on, and it just reinforced. Yeah. And and for those that might not know a bestiary or bestiary, basically it falls somewhere between Encyclopedia Britannica for Animals and a real-world monster manual. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a monster manual. There are several other games that refer to the book full of monsters to throw at your players as a bestiary. bestiary. Yeah. 
and there are several third-party 5th edition supplements that are bestiaries. Yeah. So it is a word that many gamers would recognize. Okay. But yes, that is something to keep in mind, is that Sirens started off very harpy-like and ended up very mermaid-like. Yeah. But in the end, their mechanics are basically the same. They have an alluring song that charms people to come into their doom. Right. And to play into the Odyssey a little bit, you know, the only way to defeat them is to A, know that they're there, and then B, not listen to them. Right. So that would require you to, you know, plug your ears with wax to physically be unable to, to hear react. them. Exactly. You've got to roll a really, really high Connor Wilson. Which is which is why Odysseus had himself lashed to the mast so he couldn't go to them. Right, because he did want to hear the song, and I, I, I kind of get that. I'd honestly I, be curious. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that. It's like, what is this song that is so alluring that it will lure you to your death? Yeah. What does that actually sound like? And, and Homer does give a very wonderful description. It is not what you think it is. I just have to say look it up because it's really going to be different for everyone who reads it. It was for a long time one of my favorite scenes from The Odyssey. And then that was the only way to actually defeat them was to not fall for their song. Yeah. Because if you sailed away without paying attention to their song, they dove into the water and turned to stone and drowned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how he defeated the harpies. Yeah. Or the sirens. That's the sirens. That's how he defeated the sirens. The harpies, a bit easier. So again, lore-wise, and we will this will come into our mechanics, they are more prone to flee. And with Jason and the Argonauts, their people, they just chased them down till they fatigued and fell out of the air. So again, they will flee if possible, and in this case, they just continue to pursue them until they couldn't anymore. As a stand-up-and-fight encounter, it's not going to be one of those. It, it is definitely going to be a hit-and-run. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about harpies in TTRPGs. Okay. I'm sure that the harpy is in the first edition Monster Manual. The first I saw was Greyhawk Adventures back in 75, I think is what I saw the earliest. 75, 76, somewhere yeah. in that range, yeah. So, I mean, we, we are talking OG D&D, way, way back. Yeah, way back. The earliest one that I have access to is in 2nd Edition. Okay. It is in the 2nd Edition Monster Manual. Their big thing is their song. Yeah. So, basically what happened was, you hear the song of a harpy, and you had to make a saving throw against being charmed. Yes. And if you failed, sucks for you. (laughs) Elves being largely resistant to charm effects throughout the editions, elves would have been resistant to the charm effect of the harpy. Resistant but not immune. Resistant but not immune. So they would get some sort of bonus to it. And everyone who failed would move towards the harpy as quickly as they could. Yes. That's the mechanic. Yep. It's like they pulled up with a van that's saying puppies and free candy. That's kind of how it goes. (laughs) And the only way to counter it was, like in the Odyssey, to plug your ears before you encountered the harpy. Just slapping your hands over your ears wasn't going to do anything because it's a magical song. And it's an earworm. It's going to get in there. (laughs) Baby shark. Stop it. (laughs) So whenever they were forced to resort to fighting. They would rake with their claws. They would bite with their teeth. Many of them also carried a large bone club. Club. And that is something that has stayed with the harpies through editions. Yeah. Is that they retain a femur that they are going to club you with. It it works. It's effective. (laughs) It is. I read some and some more higher challenge harpies might 
even have use of a bow and arrow. Yeah, in 3rd edition, there was a harpy variant that basically had seven levels of fighter and had a bow. Okay. But typically, your basic harpy is not going to have any sort of ranged weaponry. Right. They're going to rely on their charm. Yes. If they can't charm you, they're just going to fly away right. and find something else. Yeah. They're very opportunistic. Extremely. So another thing with the Harpy, at least in 2nd edition, is that whenever they touched someone who was charmed by their song, they were able to force them to make a second saving throw. And if they failed, they were charmed by that Harpy for an additional 20 plus 1d10 hours. Yes. So that would be something that would uh, <laughs> not be great. No, not so much. And all of the charm effects would end if the Harpy died. Yeah. But at this point, if they've charmed the person, then they're going to walk them into a pitfall trap, have them fight their allies, have them kill a larger creature that they want disposed of. They are going to become a tool of the harpy. Yeah. You could really use harpies for some truly horrific, like, body horrors type games. Oh, yeah, you could. Oh, my. You know, because whenever they're charmed, it is akin to, like, a dominate person. Yeah. It's not just a charmed person where you think favorably of them. They, you, they are enthralled to the harpy. Yes. And they will do whatever the harpy says. So there are a lot of horrific implications that you can go into right. with a harpy having charmed a person. Right. So that basic charm person, if that person is going to do something that's going to harm themselves, it will break. But not so much with the harpy. No, absolutely yeah. not. The other really nasty thing with the harpy, I do want to touch on this, is that the harpies, they'll sing their song because, again, they're coming in a group. They're generally going to be three, four, five, maybe two, but almost never solo. You can resist their song, and if you resist that song, you're immune for a day to that harpy. So if you resist one, then the second harpy sings. If you resist that one, the third harpy sings. So again, they can stagger these effects. And so you have, especially if you want to make these more of a challenge, multiple roles that your players are going to have to save because they're not going to all burst into a chorus. They are going to have their own little solo act. It varies. It varies according to the different lores. There are some that say that if they save against the song of the harpy... They are immune to that group of harpies. Okay. That's how it worked in second edition. Okay. If the harpies are singing at you and you make your save, you save against that whole group. Okay. I, I read it as each individual harpy and each individual song. No, I mean, to read from the block here. Oh, we are quoting the holy text. <laughs> in addition, characters who make their saving throw are thereafter immune to its effects until such time as they encounter a different group of harpies. Okay. Fair enough. So it would be an immunity to that coven okay. until they encounter another, another coven. coven. Okay. So if they end up running into the same coven three times in a row, then they would still be immune yes. every time they met until they ran into a different coven. So if you had stacked um, covens, like again, if you're going through maybe like an aviary or something. And I would not put it past harpies to say, you know, they're intelligent enough to understand that, okay... They're not affected by our song. We need to go find more of our kind for our protection. Yeah, and I could see almost, again, because these are communal creatures, so I could see small groups 
banding together to form a larger band, you know, again, kind of like a clan creature would, or even humans to agree. You know, you have families and you have clans and you have cities or villages. You could do the same thing with these harpies. And so you could scale these up really fast, depending on your party and what kind of encounter you want to run. If you wanted to make them run a gamut, maybe their options are taking a dangerous sea course, going through a hostile city, or you can run through this canyon and the canyon is inhabited by four or five covens of harpy. And so they go through, and if they choose through this canyon, then they're going to have to constantly resist these songs as they come through or try to drive off and get through another way versus dealing with a kraken and some siren or dealing with an armed guard or maybe a war camp of some sort. Yeah, I can see that. But again, that would be another thing where your prior preparation... Seeking out the knowledge ahead of time and then preparing for it right. would allow you to basically ignore the mechanic. Yeah, but this would also be great, too, if, I mean, again, as a DM, you set this up, you know you're going to set this fork in the road for your players. Make them use those intelligence checks, those investigation checks, persuasion checks. Make them go into a bar or a tavern and try to, you know, bribe patrons or listen to banter and eavesdrop people to see. Maybe they can get a hint. So, yeah, they can probably, if they roll high enough or play their skills well, maybe they can hear about this coven of harpies and why people try to avoid this trade route. Maybe they know that the seas are dangerous. Maybe they learn the patrol patterns of your war camp or what kind of people are there that they can be bribed or otherwise, you know, avoided. Let them use those skills to inform their choices about which fork they take. And this really goes into DM world building. Absolutely, yeah. So moving ahead to third edition, the harpy really doesn't change much. No. They keep all of the same sort of abilities. They keep the club attack. They keep the claws. They lose the bite, but they gain a second claw attack, so it, it, balances, it, it out. balances out. They do have the Harpy Archer variant option, throwing seven levels of fighter on top of the Harpy to bump them from a CR4 to a CR11. But the main thing that I like is that they clarify the captivating song mechanic. Saying specifically that while you are captivated by the song of the harpy, you will make the most direct path towards the harpy. Yes. Without paying any attention to whatever hazards might be there. Exactly. So they specify that you can sing someone off a cliff. Yep. Specifically, that is something that they would do. Yes, exactly. They would set themselves up just beyond a cliff. Mm -hmm. And they would sing to their victims and the victims would walk towards them, and eventually they would keep walking until there was nothing left to walk on, and then they would plummet to their deaths, and then the harpies would go down and eat their corpses because they're vultures. Yeah, this was actually a hunting method of the Native Americans through North Dakota and particularly Montana. When I was younger, I was in Montana, and I actually got to see, they call them the buffalo runs, and you can actually see where the rock has been scarred by where they would drive the buffalo off the rock cliffs, and then they would have members of the group at the base of the cliffs to process and butcher out the animals after they drove them over. So again, this is a actual hunting tactic used by natives, so yeah, it was make total sense for RPs to do this. Then moving on to 5th edition. 5th edition actually gave us some lore on the harpies, which is kind of counter to what we usually run into with our monsters. With our monsters, yeah. Now, 5th edition has built up a lot of world lore, which I am very happy about, but they definitely parsed back a lot of your monster stats. So this is actually a nice breath of air from Air Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. So basically the gist of it was... An elf was walking in the woods, 
and heard this beautiful bird song. Okay. And went to follow the music and noticed that it was this elven god okay in this clearing just singing his bird song okay because he's an elf god and he can do that's that that's what they do yeah and this was one of the more reclusive ones uh fenmorel mesterine a new one for me well they've got like 20 gods in their pantheon so, it's, so he sees that he has been spotted and so he up and bolts because he's a god and he doesn't like talking to mortals okay and so the elf ends up just wandering through the woods trying to find him again and begs a boon of the elf goddess of the sky to come to her aid and teach her the song that he was singing to lure him out. I could see this happening. And apparently it didn't work. Damn. So the elf, in turn, because it didn't work, cursed the gods. I'm getting a very Bluebeard feel off of this. I'm kind (laughs) of loving it. And invoked the power to transform herself into the first harpy. I like it. I kind of like that. Again, you still get that base air spirit feel. You get some vindictiveness, which kind of goes with the whole modern theme of a harpy. I can buy into this. Yeah. So that's the lore behind it. I like it. But mechanically speaking, 5th edition harpies are about the same Same. as 3rd edition harpies. They're both roughly the same CR. I think they're both CR4. Okay. CR4 or CR1 in the earlier editions, I believe. Oh, they're CR4 in 3rd edition. Okay. Maybe they're CR1 and 2nd? Oh, yeah. They, no, they are CR1 okay. in 5th edition. So, yeah, they've they've been nerfed. Just to that. But, again, too, they are not going to stand and fight. They are much easier to flee and scatter. Yes. So this will be a thing. A couple scenarios I do want to bring up. I saw just this past week in a video by, I believe it's D&D Shorts, mm-hmm. uh, the, the content creator. He was talking about good first-level spells that people overlook. And he was talking about using Catapult with a net. Yes. That was a wonderful video. If you get a chance, to look that up. That whole video did was actually very well done. I love the gentleman's content. But yeah, catapult with a net was something with two things I never put together. The other scenario I think would be very interesting, a lot of fun. And unfortunately, this concept has faded a little bit over the past few years, especially after COVID. But going back 2019, early 2020, we talked about, you know, people with disabilities within the game and had people like the wheelchair and things like that, which I still think is a wonderful idea. If you were to play a deaf character, you would naturally be immune to the harpies. Yes. And I think that would be a great time for that kind of character to shine. I think that would be a really fun... If you wanted to actually go through and take the time and don't make a stereotype, don't make a trope character, but if you were wanting to make an actual character with deafness, I think you could roleplay this character very, very well, and this would be a time when that disability would actually be an advantage. And it would be fun to see on the table. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's talk for a minute about using harpies in a game. Okay. There are some obvious uses for harpies based on... What we have talked about with their lore. Yeah. You know, something in, you know, maritime settings, anything up around the coastline, anywhere where you're going to have cliffs and drop-offs and mountainous areas. Okay. Those would all be good places to put harpies. Even just putting them in, like, an old-growth forest and just have them fly around. Yeah. While they're singing, luring people around not even dropping them into traps, but just having them continually running around until they actually drop from exhaustion. I could see that. That would be a great way to just make them lost in the woods, quite literally. Yes. I like that. As we mentioned earlier, where there is this similarity, there is this symmetry with hags, I could see 
harpies beholden to a coven of hags in a swamp and have them walk into bogs or next to the frog creatures you love. I can never remember their names. Bullywugs? Yeah, bullywugs or maybe some crocodiles. Even harpies beholden to a dragon of some sort. Maybe a green or a black. It would be more of a black Black, than green, yeah. yeah. You mentioned harpies and swamp, and all I'm thinking is a tray from a never-ending story. Yeah. Or Artax. Yes. Artax. Uh-huh. Hope you didn't like that pack horse. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is great. And again, you can set them up. You can use these harpies as a set of challenges. As we said, if you wanted to make a fork in the road and give your players autonomy or choice on what they're going. So they don't feel so railroaded. So you can easily put, you know, okay, you can pick harpy trail. You can pick this trail. You can pick that trail. And again, let them see if they can discover what the challenges are or how they're going to confront that challenge. Player level wise, I think where they tend to be CR1 per, but they're never by themselves. You're probably going to see these levels two to seven ish. Yeah. This is still going to be an early game monster, but you're not going to want to do it too early. Right. Because you want them to actually have a chance to resist. Yes. Or at least have part of the party <laughs> resist. Right. I can also see an easy way to beef them up is to treat them like a coven of hags. Make them spellcasters. Give them class levels in sorcerer or warlock. Yeah, I can um, see that. Because again, they are flying creatures. Even if you want to beef them up and maybe you homebrew a martial class of harpy. With that fly ability, they're going to be difficult to hit because they're going to be able to swoop in, drop, and then swoop back up. And it's going to be very much like jays or sparrows harassing a hawk at that point where they're going to swoop in and kind of jolt up and out. I'm just thinking now that you mentioned that harpies with class levels and monk. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. That would be terrifying. That would be, but oh my god, that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be something like if you have that one annoying player who's decided to play an Aarakocra monk. Yes. <laughs> you know, give them their comeuppance. Yes. <laughs> Another great scenario I could see would be that you come across a wizard or a sorcerer or some other, you know, alchemist or magic user. And you have to, for some reason, collect a particular pinion feather from a harpy. And so now you're going to encounter this coven of harpies. And then when they flee, you need to chase them down to collect their feathers. And so now they've got this fly speed as they are trying. And now you can do this great chase skill check. Or you can have them lead you off into more and more danger. Because, again, they are going to be able to fly. They are going to move quickly and away. So what's it worth to pursue them? Or how can you figure out how to trap them so they can't further run away even further? Right. And, you know, have them in the company of other birds. Like, have them accompanied by vultures or something. Or, or, well, (laughs) I'm less thinking about having them, you know, mechanically something to fight. Okay. I'm thinking more along the lines of having something like vultures along with them. Because having vultures with them would be very thematically appropriate. But it would also... Make it to where you can't just pick through the feathers that are there from where they were sitting and grooming themselves because you don't know if that's a harpy feather or a vulture feather. That is a great idea. Or even if, you know, you had your archer, your ranger, or your, you know, your archer warrior take a shot, then you need to roll a perception and a nature check to identify your target. Is that a harpy from that far away or is that a vulture? Because they look awfully similar. Yeah. I could see that. And then going back to giving them caster levels... My immediate gut feeling is to make them Archfiend Pacted Warlocks. I could see that. And here's my reasoning. Okay. Because in mythology, harpies are servants of the Arrhenius. Mm-hmm. The Arrhenius 
are D&D devils. I'm sold. They are a mid-grade, upper mid-grade devil. They're, okay. they're the fallen angels. Yeah, and again, going back to Dante, they are in the seventh level of hell. They are in the hell. Yes. Um, and there's another, I can't remember which other thing also put them in hell, but they were guardians of the city of Dis. Again, that's still going to go in with Virgil. Or not um, Virgil, but with Dante, I'm sorry. Regardless, having a coven of harpies that are warlocks, whose master is an Arrhenius. Okay. As like a 10th to 12th level campaign big bad. Okay. If you're only planning on going to like 10th or 12th level. Okay. Having the big bad be an Arrhenius, a named Arrhenius. I like it. With this too, with the harpies, even if they are warlocks or spellcasters, I would keep their spellcasting primarily defensive as well. And again, that's just going to keep with that theme where they are not as martial, they are going to be more... And keep a lot of sonic stuff. Yes. They're absolutely going to have Vicious Mockery. Oh, absolutely. Give them Vicious Mockery, give them, like, Shatter. Yeah. And again, trigger warning here. Going to touch into Dante's. But again, that's what they did in the seventh layer, is their calls tormented and mocked those that self-harmed. So again, that would fit thematically with medieval lore with them. So absolutely Vicious Mockery. Shatter would be a great one. Is it Thunderclap? Thunderclap, yeah. Yeah. Well, Thunderclap is one. Thunderwave is one. Thunderwave, yeah. These would be more offensive, but definitely... On that list. But they're both also defensive because they cause forced movement. Yes. So, you know, you center the thunderclap on yourself and you push the things away from you. And now they're no longer threatening your space so you can escape. That would be a great thing. So you hear the song, you're entranced, you go in. Somehow you get that lucky dice roll and you save. But now you're a whole whole lot closer than you were when they realized that you saved. And so they are going to use that thunder wave to push you back so they could escape. And then tapping into the spell list available in Xanathar's Guide, the third level spell Thunderstep. Okay, yeah. Can be used both defensively and offensively. Yes. So not only will you have a defensive use where you use the thunderstep, you leave the thunderclap where you teleport from and you teleport 90 feet away. Yeah. And, you know, you cause AoE thunder damage around where you left. You can also take someone with you. Oh, yes. A creature that has been charmed by the harpy will see them as an ally and will not get a saving throw against being moved by the harpy. Okay, I'm seeing... So I, the harpy is going to charm somebody, Okay, fly down next to them, grab hold of them, thunderstep 90 feet straight up in the air... That's exactly what I was thinking. Deal AoE thunder damage to all of his friends... And then drop. And then drop him 90 feet. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. That is <laughs> vicious and evil. And again, this ties back into that Greek lore of these storm and wind spirits too. So again, this fits perfectly with what we've delved into for harpy lore. I love these things. We need storm harpies. <laughs> oh, yes. I think we have a new write-up. Maybe. Maybe. I think that could be a patron thing, a storm harpy. I think we could do it. Or maybe we can do an adventure with some harpies okay. that happen to be... Yeah. I, li- I like both options. We'll work on some. Yeah, let us know what you think, guys. Do you want to see a storm harpy? Do you want to see an adventure through a cove of these things? All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for today. Yeah. Again, um, while there is a good foundation for the Harpies, the lore does leave the field wide open. There's a lot you can do with these if you want to take a lot of time. I think these are a fun thing to drop on the table. And it's not going to be the same orcs and goblins and everything that your players always see. So it'll be something a little unexpected for them. So definitely some new flavor. 
So a couple of things before we sign off. Okay. One of the things that I have recently bought, ongoing right now, it's about to wrap up. We mentioned this last time in our interview with Michael from RPG Academy. The Solo But Not Alone 3 bundle is still ongoing. It is a large bundle. It's 149 games. It's all solo RPGs available on Itch. I'll put a link to the landing page for the bundle in the show notes, but you can go to itch.io and search for Solo But Not Alone 3 and pull up the bundle. It is a fundraiser to support Jasper's Game Day, which is a gaming-based charity to help support suicide prevention programs. That is a great program. So we strongly encourage you to go and check that out. As I said, it's 149 games. The base price for the bundle is 10 bucks. You're not going to beat that. No. So aside from that, thank you everyone for joining us today. Yeah. I had fun. Oh, I had a ton of fun. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, and Mastodon at Undercommon Taste. We are on itch, undercommontaste.itch.io. That's where our Liminal Horror Adventure Beneath the Lake and my solo RPG Forever Home can be found for $3 each. And I will hint, we might have something a little bit more exciting coming up. So yeah, we, I'm just going to go ahead and talk okay, about go it. for it, yeah. I am working on a first to third level D&D one-shot sure, adventure. Yeah. We are tentatively calling it Kettle Run. Yes. It is a smuggling-based <laughs> adventure that will introduce you to our town of Verdigree. Yes. That we've been working on on several episodes of Undercommon Taste. We're starting to work on some various different adventures and stuff to try and start fleshing out the town, getting a bit more out for you to play in Verdigree if you so choose. Yeah. Eventually, we'd like to get an entire source book together where we have the whole town laid out and all of the factions and NPCs and everything that you could do around it and then include a bunch of adventures that you could throw together into a campaign or just play as one-shots. That is something that we'd like to do. It's going to take us a while to work on something like that, so we're starting to piecemeal it. Yeah, it's going to be kind of like a quilt. A little piece yeah, of time. It's like the, how do you eat a whale one bite, one bite at a time? time. That's right. So that is something that we have in the works. Our hope is that as we put more stuff together and as we sell more things, we will have a bigger budget to make better things in the future. Yes. Eventually, you know, be able to hire artists and hire someone else to do layout because <laughs> layout is hard. <laughs> and just all of those various and sundry things. Right. Hire someone else to edit it so that I can divorce myself from the work <laughs> and not have to say but but it's supposed to be like that right you know i am an editor by trade but i am terrible at editing my own work as it happens as is the case for most people but anyway we are on patreon patreon.com slash undercommon taste that's where our write-ups go that is also a place where if you are a patron you get free copies of everything that we put on our itch store yes so that is a great way to help support the show financially. We are hoping this year to get to a point where the show breaks even. Yay! <laughs> that would be lovely. So 
if you would be so generous as to help us reach that goal, that would be amazing and we would love you forever. (laughs) And finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord in the show notes and we'd love for you to come over and chat with us. Absolutely. If Uh, this is your first time listening to us, we thank you for finding us. You can find our other podcasts wherever you're listening to podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, pretty much anywhere. I do also want to say, talking about Jasper's Game Day, if you are feeling down, if you do need help, reach out to a friend. There's the Suicide Prevention Hotline. Again, it's never worth it. People do love you. There are people who care. And I will include that number also in the show notes. Excellent. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I'll get that. But yeah, absolutely call someone, reach out for help. There are people there for you, and they would much rather spend an hour talking you down from your worst place than to not have you ever. And I know because I've been there at various points where you feel like such a burden, and you don't want to burden people with your problems, but they are there for you, and they would much, much rather help you with your problems than lose you. So stay safe, everyone, and we will see you all in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash davidsutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks, so stay safe, and we'll see you then.